can imagine people passing by, camping for the night, doing a bit of flint working. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. 2023 marks 100 years of our museums and collections, and we're celebrating by examining 100 intriguing objects that help tell the story of Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area. Today's object was painstakingly fashioned from stone around 6,000 years ago. It was a crucial part of life for people in Lancaster and around the globe in the Mesolithic. Today's object is a leaf-shaped arrowhead. The arrowhead is very small, less than two centimetres across. As the name suggests, it is a broad leaf shape, although ours has been broken off at one end, giving it a straight edge. It's made of greyish-white rock. It was found in 1977 as part of a field walking survey carried out by members of Lancaster Archaeological Society, just east of the village of Holton. The survey found 23 worked pieces of stone from the Mesolithic or Early Neolithic, as well as a large number of cores, flakes and shattered pieces from their production. We caught up with Anthony Dixon, Project Officer Post-Excavation with Oxford Archaeology Lancaster Office, who specialises in lithic analysis. This object is what we classify as a leaf-shaped arrowhead. Leaf-shaped arrowheads can take a variety of forms. Generally, they are, as the terminology implies, leaf-shaped, but they can be triangular sometimes, elongated, but they generally date to the early Neolithic, which we can broadly say is about 4,000 to 3,600 BC. It was recovered during a field walking survey near Halton, to the west of Lancaster and on the River Loon's floodplain. It appears that the area of the Loon around Halton, the Crooker Loon and Caton were probably places of persistent settlement, particularly during the late Mesolithic and into the early Neolithic. And we know that because quite a, a few assemblages from field walking and excavation in front of pipelines, etc., have recovered assemblages of lithics. So it looks like that it's quite an important place and that's maybe of no surprise given that it's adjacent to the loom and rivers often acted as routes of movement through the landscape during prehistory. Arrowheads like this and other worked objects found from the Stone Age are known as lithics. We asked Anthony to describe exactly what lithics are and why they are so important to our understanding of history. A lithic is a piece of worked flint, chert, or the types of stone, which we can detect from the technological signatures that somebody who has struck or worked that piece leaves behind on it. So we know that it is actually worked rather than just a normal, natural piece of unworked stone. They are important, particularly for earlier periods of prehistory, because they're more often than not the only remains that we have. Their durable nature means that they can survive fairly happily in whatever types of environment they find themselves put. They're particularly useful for identifying early prehistory, Paleolithic and so on, and they are good indicators of where people have lived in the past. The Paleolithic period stretches back many thousands of years and it's broken down into several 
phases beginning with the early Paleolithic and working through to the late Upper Paleolithic. So it's a very long period of time. And for that period, it is lithics that you're mainly dealing with. So are lithics like this a common find in the area? Anthony told us about some of the recent digs which have found evidence of Stone Age life and how archaeologists study them to find out about their history. If we start at the Bay Gateway, that was late Mesolithic, but quite a bit earlier. And what we had there was three little discrete scatters of flint and chert. It appears that these were just simple little camps just next to a Paleo channel, which is a former river channel that ran down into the Loon. So you can imagine people passing by, camping for the night, doing a bit of flint working. And the fact that we had three discrete scatters suggested that was a place that they came back to over time as well. You move further up the loom to the Crooker loom, much more concentrated and quite extensive scatters of lithics. We have a mixture of late Mesolithic material and early Neolithic material and some later. So it's been a, an important place over quite a considerable time. The amount of lithics coming out of that area kind of suggests that there was a lot more going on. And there have also been significant numbers found in the northwest. For example, Stainton West, a site that we excavated in 2007-2008, produced 11 leaf-shaped arrowheads. And then recent excavations at Windy Harbour near Poulton, we got another 10. So they do turn up quite uh, regularly. We can study them in great detail, looking at their technological traits. And part of that is we look at the raw material types, so that can tell us where the original piece might have come from. So the thing to bear in mind is that flint chert occurs in different parts of the country in different forms. So when you're on chalk landscapes, it's quite common to find flint, a workable flint, on the surface. Whereas up in the northwest, a lot of the flint that's used is beach pebble flint. So it's been released from its original uh, geological context and uh, quite often found along beaches, certainly up in along the northwest coast of Cumbria and along the coast of Lancaster as well. And going on from that, we then study the technological detail of the lithics. Over time, changes in technology occur. From that, you can get a broad date and that can range, as I said, through the Paleolithic and into later periods, the Mesolithic and the Neolithic, and into Bronze Age, and, and in some cases, the Iron Age. Another good way of studying um, lithics is what we call microwear analysis. Simply that is looking at the wear patterns left on lithics, and through experimental work, which has recreated those wear patterns, you can match them together, and that can give you some more information about what might have been going on at any specific site that you do a microwear study on. Our lithic is an arrowhead, so we wanted to know what sort of bow and arrow technology they would have had at the time it was made. And once they had their trusty bow and arrow, what would they use it for? Very much similar to what we know as a bow and arrow, basically, a conventional bow, potentially made from you. Uh, there have been a few finds of intact bows from waterlogged contexts, both in England and on mainland Europe. And certainly through the Neolithic period, they tend to be made on you. So a simple shaft, maybe a branch that they work down to get it to the right shape. And then a twine, the, the string, which could be anything from plant remains twisted into cord or, or sinew from an animal or something like that. They appear to have had a wide range of, of uses, both in domestic, ceremonial and in uh, interpersonal warfare. 
So use wear analysis, which is looking at micro wear on the items, suggests that yes, they are used for hunting. Other forms, I mentioned earlier about the slender, elongated ones. Quite a few of those have been found in ceremonial contexts, so at monuments such as causeway enclosures, etc. And then we've got good evidence from a site down in the southwest at Cambrai where over 700 arrowheads were found in context with burnt palisaded enclosures suggesting that they were used in warfare. In a world with no tools other than rocks and pieces of antler or bone, how were arrowheads like this made? How long would it take to make one? And where was the raw material coming from? Fairly simply, you work flint, chert or whatever, uh, other types of stone, and that usually begins with a nodule or a core. Detach a flake from that. That flake might come off and be suitable to then work further into an arrowhead or they might have to reshape it by trimming it a little bit further. And once they've got the desired shape, they would have then used uh, pressure flaking to start getting the, the, the finer definition of the arrowhead. And eventually they would end up with a really nicely made piece. It might have parallel flaking on both sides or it might not. Parallel flaking is much like ripple effect. So some of them, some of them can look really, really pretty. So a lot of work seems to have gone into some of them. Others, not so much. You almost get the impression that they quickly made that for the purpose there and then, so it seems to vary. Beginners, it would take a while, especially when you're getting down to the finer trimming, but if you have experience, perhaps a quarter of an hour, half an hour, and you would have a, a perfectly usable arrowhead. They tend to go through different forms over time. Prior to the Neolithic, you get what we call microliths, which are tiny little blades which are fashioned into geometric shapes mainly and then multiple microliths will be stuck into a haft and they're what we call composite arrowheads. Into the Neolithic you get the leaf-shaped ones, then further on in the Neolithic you get chisel-shaped transverse types, bleak types as well and some of those oblique ones can be really really fancy. Into the early Bronze Age you get barbed and tanned. The Northwest we don't have readily good supplies of flint. We do for chert. A simple way of looking at it is flint is found in chalk, whereas chert is found in limestones. And we have plenty of limestone in the northwest. Flint, as I said earlier, the main source in this area is what we call beach pebble flint. But we do know from matching the physical qualities of flint that quite a bit of raw materials were coming over from East Yorkshire as well, particularly up into Cumbria and at the head of the loom we have a number of sites where what we call Yorkshire flint is quite abundant and it's made into some really nice things. It appears that it was moving from the late Mesolithic through the Neolithic but has a particular spike in the late Neolithic where there's a range of tools with polished edges that are commonly found in East Yorkshire which appear in Cumbria as well. So stone arrowheads were used for thousands of years, but ours appears to be from around 6,000 years ago. It can be difficult to envisage life so long ago, so we asked Anthony to tell us a bit more about what was happening in this period, when the Mesolithic was giving way to the Neolithic. It's a really important part of our history, our prehistory. So the late Mesolithic 
people were hunter-gatherers, fishers, so they were reliant on natural resources that they went out and got themselves either picking berries, going out and killing animals, but using every part of the animals. And they probably had a very, very close relationship with the world that they lived in and the animals that occupied that world. As we get to the Neolithic, around about 4000 BC, there's quite a few changes in terms of how subsistence practices were carried out not least because domesticates were introduced. And by domesticates, I mean animals, crops. So it's the first time you start to see wheat, barley, etc. Initially, those would have been part of the subsistence economy. They don't appear to have come in and taken over completely. Potentially, elements of that late Mesolithic way of life still were used. But as, as time progressed... It's certainly changed. So that's the biggest thing. And as soon as you start to generate surplus, everybody's not involved in trying to find food and resources. Then it frees people up to do other things. And basically, it's the way we are today. It comes from that, those simple domesticates being introduced into this country. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. There are lots more episodes to listen to where we discuss topics ranging from wall plaster to workers' rights. 